Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Welcome back, folks. We are joined by President and CEO of GNO Inc., Michael Heck. We'll be doing this interview while wearing a VR headset. Michael, welcome to the show. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. Like, I think that, like, New Orleans is surreal enough without having to put on a headset. <laughs> you know? I want to see what's coming at me. Right? You've obviously experienced New Orleans driving, uh, for sure. <laughs> oh, I, I definitely. Although I, w- I want to say something. This is this is. Um, so the other day on Saturday we were coming back from uh, from swimming and we were unfortunately uh, t-boned by uh, an elderly driver who probably shouldn't be driving and everybody's fine. But I want to say that uh, the the cops arrived within ten fifteen minutes. They had no idea who I was. They were very courteous. It took care of everything. It was for, for that type of experience. It was as good of an experience as it it could have been. So it is. <laughs> it was a strange thing to lead with, but it was just it was one of those moments where you say, ah, you know, things are. This is this is the this is why people like the NOPD. They were courteous. They were quick. Um, you know, I asked the officer how you liking the new chief. She said, oh man, it's a breath of fresh air. We really like her. So anyway, it was an interesting interesting data point. Well, that's great. And everybody's okay. Everybody's fine. Everybody's totally fine. Most importantly, yes, exactly. We are Absolutely. the elderly driver. She was fine. She was very, you know, apologetic. So, you know, yes. Um, and and how did the Bentley fare out? Well, the thing about the Bentley is that, as you know, those things are are built like for. Yeah, no, but it is. I'll tell you something. It was a Toyota, and the, the body on frame uh, did its job. There you go. It's all you can ask for, for sure, right? Well, I, I ask for more. I just never get it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk what about a couple say, of what things. Do you say to, what do you say to the kids? Well, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit, right? That's exactly right. <laughs> but they never listen. So <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll end on that. Uh, the mayor, the governor seem to be on the same page. You know, I, I was looking at my notes today, and they're just these fascinating partnerships. We got the mayor and the governor. Uh, on on crime, we got Representative Troy Carter and Representative Clay Higgins on this quick fix to get returning citizens back into the workforce, and you know uh, politics and bedfellows. Um, but there is, you know, when I do my informal polling and just asking people what they think, there is a lot of excitement uh, over the fact that the governor recognized that as New Orleans goes, so goes the state. But then within that, he recognized that it's not just about the French Quarter. It's, it's about the whole city, although I think you and I agree that in a large way, it really is about the French Quarter. And, um, you know, I think that uh, when you talk about the Troop NOLA being stationed here, when you talk about his partnership with D.A. Williams, um, he's following through on the commitments that he made you know, before the election and that were recommended to him by the transition committee I was on. And, 
so far so good, Newell. I mean, it, it, what, do, you, do you disagree with any of that, or it feels like you know this is stuff that's net to the positive? No, absolutely. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm waiting to see what the call is going to be on on the uh, crime special session. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Hopefully, the funding will will get approved for the additional state troopers. And um, you know, I have certain thoughts about how I. I think is the best way to approach it operationally. I could be wrong. And actually, if they execute something else, I hope I'm wrong. And I hope it turns out um, to be uh, great and that we are able to selectively incapacitate the impact criminal and we can move on. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And so, you know, the devil will be in the details, but to the degree that we have, you know, it's interesting um, when we had a, you know, a, a Democratic governor who obviously understood law enforcement. You know, uh, Governor Edwards came from a family uh, of people in law enforcement and a Democratic mayor in New Orleans. It, you, you, we never kind of seemed to get this, this type of partnership. It always felt like things were a bit fraught for whatever reason. Um, and so I don't know. You know, sometimes it takes Nixon to go to China. Right. And uh, yeah. I, I think overall we're, we're glad that it's uh, we're glad that it's that it's happened. Michael, let's talk about the Twix fix because this is important. Yeah, this is. Uh, so yeah, so so this is is not the uh, the candy bar. Um, this is Twix stands for Transportation Worker Identification Credential, the Twix card, and it's basically what you need to get into uh, a big industrial facility. And what we noticed is is a couple things. One, there's obviously a desperate need for more industrial workers. The second is that these jobs are potentially great jobs for people who are coming out from serving time uh, in prison. The challenge is that the process for getting approved for a quick card, if you have served time, has been very cumbersome. And even though at the end of the day, less than 1% of people who applied for the process were rejected, it was taken a long time and some people were just giving up. So this new representation, which is uh, the TWIC Efficiency or TWICE Act, which is being co-sponsored by Troy Carter and Clay Higgins, Basically, it doesn't change any of the eligibility for getting a TWIC card. If you've done something egregious like um, some type of terroristic activity, you're absolutely not going to get it. But it does allow you to do things like to begin to apply while you are still uh, awaiting your release. And it does prevent things like an automatic rejection, which is the current process, which tends to discourage people. So it seems like a smart reform that can give returning citizens a second chance, hence the TWICE Act. And also give our industrial facilities, you know, some of the workforce that they're clamoring for. So we're, we're in full support of this. This is the type of smart type of reform that seems to have, you know, be bipartisan, obviously. And uh, we're hopeful that it can get uh, it can get pushed through. And especially in Louisiana, because uh, a lot of the industries that we have are have to be TWIC compliant, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, any of our industrial facilities that are doing things in oil or gas or petrochemical or in any other way sensitive from an environmental or from a um, a, a safety um, perspective, you need to have a quick card. You can't get in. And, you know, if you go and visit those facilities, you know, it's like getting into the NASA facility. It's a big process. So this is a, a, a real barrier. And uh, given that we have uh, a population of returning citizens and given that we have the workforce needs, if we can make this process better without compromising the eligibility, it's a no-brainer. And I just – it's at any time, Newell, when, when you see folks from the left and folks from the right coming together, Democrat, Republican, on some type of common-sense thing, 
um, you know that either something really wonderful or really terrible is happening. And I think this is this is something really wonderful. Governor Landry has uh, revealed his thoughts about ITEP and where he thinks it can be improved. Uh, tell us about it. Well, this one's interesting. We're still processing this, to be honest. Um, you know, our position on ITEP uh, has always been that it's something that should be decided by the locals because it's local money. And, you know, that's despite the fact that it was awfully convenient back in the go-go jindal days when, you know, we were just rubber stamping, you know, uh, giving property tax exemptions. It was convenient, but it just never kind of made sense. So we like the local control, and our position has always been, but what you need is stability. You need to have consistency across parishes, and ideally parishes should have a one-stop shop so that a business can go and talk to a single entity instead of having to go to the sheriff and the school board and the council, uh, for example. Um, what the governor is now doing is, is going a step further, we believe, and I haven't dug into this yet, but suggesting that some of the job creation requirements um, are, are not going to be necessary in ITEP going forward. Uh, so we just have to kind of, um, you know, understand what that means. Obviously, from an economic development perspective, that streamlines it even further. Uh, I do suspect that there's going to be some some head scratching and pushback from, um, you know, folks at, at, at local government. Why would that be a good thing? I mean, I, I don't understand that thought process because depending on the nature of the business that's receiving the exemption. So let's just take, take for example, a manufacturer. Uh, manufacturers are actually exempt from state sales taxes and most local st- uh, sales taxes. Um, so, therefore, what their give back is to the community is job creation. And if you exempt yeah. the property tax for these individuals, um, what's the give back? You know, I mean, and again, we haven't discussed this yet with, with the governor's staff. We're still processing it. I, I think I'm, what I'm inferring is that the thinking um, is that, uh, you know, is that development is good. It is going to um it is going to lead to job creation over time, and right now that's what Louisiana needs. We need to change the way that we're seen as a place to do business. So we need to be as friendly and open and streamlined as possible. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see, Newell. Um, you know, it's uh, this is yet another departure, though, from the Texas model, right? I mean, during the Jindal years, we heard. And we continue to hear how wonderful the Texas model is and how happy business and industry is with the Texas model. The Louisiana model seems to get poo-pooed on quite a bit, and we've, de- we've departed from the Texas model, which is far more restrictive than the Louisiana model. I mean, this, this whole dialogue just completely mystifies me. Yeah, you know, we, we have to, I have to go back and see what the – job requirements are on the Texas model. The part about it that was always most attractive to me was the one-stop shop because mm-hmm. when I yeah. talk to business owners, you know, who are making their investment decision, what they what they don't want to have to do is to go into meeting after meeting with different groups, one, because of the time, and two, because from their perspective, every individual meeting increases the chance that a deal could go sideways for legitimate or illegitimate reasons, So, which makes perfect sense. Um, so yes, we have to kind of understand, um, you know, where, where that is, uh, where that's coming from, but it certainly is a, is a more, uh, aggressive, uh, approach to ITEP. 
But, you know, the thing that always kind of strikes me, too, Michael, is that, you know, they talk about how complex our tax system is. Really what makes our tax system complex, especially on the sales tax side, which is what they typically complain about all the time, are the exemptions, not the tax itself. Some, some parishes exempt more types of transactions than others because the sales tax form is a simple form. It's you report gross sales. It's not a complex thing. In fact, almost every parish in the state of Louisiana has software. You report gross sales, and it tells you exactly what you owe. The difficulty is fill, filling out the exemption list. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's interesting when you sit down and you, and you talk to lobby and others, and you say, well, there's a simple solution. Why don't we just do away with all the exemptions? And then you just report gross sales. We can make this real easy. And, right. you know, or or we just get the, the exemptions to align, you know, and, 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 it, and if a parish wants to grant an ex- exemption, they have to get all 64 par- parishes to grant the exemption. But that way we all stay in alignment with one another, you know, not to mention this six point two billion dollars in exemptions that we give every every year now. Um, you know, I mean, I, it, it's the this departure. Um, because, you know, the one-stop shop that you talk about in Texas, and I just had this conversation with several folks this past week, you can go to the website, and it tells you exactly what you're going to get and what you're not going to get. And one thing about Texas that they don't exempt on the property tax side is the millage for education. Never. Mm -hmm. No way, no Mm -hmm. how, doesn't qualify. (laughs) That's not the same here. (laughs) You know, mm-hmm. and, I, mm-hmm. and this mm-hmm. departure from it continues to mystify me as to, you know, it's the greatest model since sliced bread. Well, then let's adopt it. <laughs> Maybe we can make this real simple. Yeah, the, the you know, the, the, the parts of the code that, that I think are the, the strangest right now uh, are the franchise tax, which is essentially a tax for the privilege of doing business in Louisiana. It's a stupid um, and tax. The inventory tax, right? Stupid yeah, which tax. is a tax for for holding inventory in Louisiana, and and the occupational license just, tax may be the stupidest tax. Uh, well, you know, well, that, that one there because, is it, because there. it's it's yeah, it's regressive. It really is anti. It's anti working class. It it prevents economic mobility. Well, but what's fascinating is that every time you try to get rid of one of these, and we we did it, we successfully got the personal income tax down from six to four and a quarter by getting rid of the federal deductibility, uh, the deductibility of federal taxes on state, which was, again, kind of a nonsense complexity. We said, just get rid of it and just lower the rate for everybody. But it's, you know, there's such a system that's been built up over 100 years that benefits from the existing structure, is dependent on the existing structure. And frankly, when trust in government is so low right now, it's kind of a devil you know type of situation. So, um, you know, it's easy to I, talk you know, about the, the cleanups. I, I, I could see where there's an interest in local government and knowing the business base that they have, right? But it shouldn't be yeah. on a percentage of your gross of your sales. It ought to be a fee, $100, $150, whatever, you know, whatever. Right. Uh, not, not, and not something obnoxious that we so that we know that, this this company exists, doing business in our parish. We can make sure that they're adhering to all of the ordinances and regulations of the parish, de- depending on the nature of the business. 
but they shouldn't have to pay a percentage of their success to, to government. <laughs> I mean, it, it's like the craziest thing I, I, I've ever heard of. And, and it, it's something that we need to just rethink and do away with. And I know there are going to be a lot of people that, lo- that lose money, but that's the only way that we're going to get smart on taxes is, is doing some of these things. Because what happens is, is that we get caught up in this ITEP debate because of a lot of the other stupid things that we're doing, you know, and, and that that's is, not a way. That is, that is correct. Yeah, I mean, what people have to understand about incentives is that, you know, there's two types of incentives. There are incentives that are, well, I think there, there, there's kind of, there's three types. There are incentives that are uh, compensatory that we feel that we have to do because we're not as good as others in other ways. Uh, there are incentives uh, like ITEP that are kind of a level the playing field type of incentive that we feel we have to do it because Texas is doing. And then there are ones that are strategic and they're kind of lost leaders, but they're building industries or behaviors that we want, like R&D, historic redevelopment uh, or digital media. And you just have to understand each incentive and understand why we're doing it. But at the end of the day, and I'll, I'll say this to my grave. What economic development is fundamentally about is creating the conditions where companies want to invest their capital organically, where you've got you've got a, a regulatory environment, a workforce environment, a quality of life, where your biggest challenges are growth challenges, right? Uh, because yeah. everybody wants to be there. That's economic development. No, absolutely, no doubt for sure. All right, we got to get to a break. We're visiting with. Michael Heck, and he's doing a pretty good job while wearing that VR headset. We'll be right back, folks. Stay with us. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back, folks. We're visiting with President and CEO of G&O Inc., Michael Heck. You like that, Michael? <laughs> Y'all are killing it, man, for the intro music today, man. That was, this, is, this is I'm enjoying this show far more than usual. Coleman's hitting it out of the park today. It has nothing to do with me. That's for sure. It, man. Go, DJ. <laughs> Let's talk about more to store. This is great news. Yeah, well, you know, uh, IMTT is one of those great local companies that you don't tend to hear about because they just do their job quietly. Uh, but they were started or uh, purchased by the Coleman families back in the 30s. They're now the largest independent bulk liquid storage and logistics provider in North America. So you see their tanks when you go down uh, the river, like on a cruise ship. Uh, and right now they're uh, going to be upgrading their very first terminal, which is over in Avondale, because their new push now is to continue to be a great provider, but to make sure that they're reducing emissions from their facility. And their CEO, Carl and Connor, is a great guy. They're incredibly philanthropic, big supporters of the NOLA coalition. So I just wanted to use your enormous platform to, to shout out and thank IMTT, uh, which, you know, might not get as much uh, you know, visibility as some of our other companies uh, like, like Raising Cane's. But um, does great work, uh, employs hundreds, and supports the community. You know, they're in the kind of business you really don't want to hear from them, right? And that's the beauty of what they do. They just they do it well. You know, I mean, they just exactly they, they do it well. 
So let's talk about uh, NOLA set sail. Uh, we've got uh, some great numbers. You know, one of the questions, so, you know, we got crushed in tourism during COVID, obviously. And one of the questions that was being asked is, you know, how long is it going to take to get back to 2019 numbers? And what is interesting is that 2023 was the year for our total tourism industry. If you look at the airport, if you look at hotels, and now we just got the numbers for cruise ships, where basically we've gotten back to the 2019 numbers. And so basically, if you kind of think about 2022 as the last year that was really kind of the COVID tale, uh, we've gotten back to where we were before awfully quickly. And, and I think that that just reinforces that, uh, you know, Louisiana and the New Orleans region has, you know, the, these things, the culture, the intimacy, uh, the sense of joy that people were denied during COVID. And they're just really eager to get back. I mean, you know, walking around Mardi Gras right now, and again, it could be my, my VR goggles that I have on, my New Orleans goggles, but people are just happy to be here. There's a real sense of joy. And uh, so the fact that they're coming back to get on our cruise ships is totally consistent with that. You know, when you think about these numbers, Michael, 291 ships that called on the port of New Orleans, cruise ships, that is, in uh, 2023. Uh, that's incredible. Well, they're, they're big numbers. And then think about what a cruise ship really is. Um, you know, it's kind of like that line from airplane, a hospital. What is it? You know, a, a building with sick people in it. Well, you know, a cruise ship is a hotel with cruisers in yeah. it. And so when it docks, it's not just their docking. It's getting food. It's getting fuel. It's getting services. It's getting maintenance. So there are an enormous number of indirect jobs that are associated with these cruise ships. And then an average cruiser who's coming in then spends three days in the region as a tourist. So um, it's got a great knock-on effect. And so every time you know we get a new cruise line coming in, like right now we have Disney Cruises that has started. We have Viking River Cruises. That's our first brown water that started recently. There are other jobs that are associated with it. Uh, and, and, you know, you might take this for granted, but the cruise business uh, in New Orleans, it, it's relatively new that it's been such an important part of the port. Uh, it's really only over the past decade. And so it's great to see it keep growing. Michael, we have a special guest that joins us. Yeah, this is a cool one. When, when people ask me what I'm most excited about uh, in, in, in the region and state, I say besides my weekly segment on, on Newell, it's that we are positioned um, to be this real leader uh, in, in energy, in future energy, and all of the above strategy. Uh, our next guest is Michael Darcy, who's the CEO of DG Fuels. And it's a great example of this. It's a $4 billion project in St. James Parish that's going to create clean airline fuel, jet fuel, out of sugarcane, timber, and plant waste. Um, and, and this facility will have less emissions than a hospital would. So it's very low emissions. It's creating a low-emission sustainable fuel, and it's supposed to create over 2,000 direct and indirect jobs. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot to like in this, and I'm glad that we have Michael on to talk about it. We're joined by Michael Darcy, chairman and CEO of DG Fuels. Michael, welcome to the show. This um, process of turning sugarcane timber and plant waste into sustainable jet fuel has truly piqued my my curiosity as to how this works. Yeah, well, you know, thanks for first. Thanks for having me on today. And, and Michael, maybe you should have a job in radio. Um, the, hey, hey, um, I don't need any competition. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
talking yeah, about look, virtual goggles um, walking off a cliff. Yeah. So, look, the beauty of this technology um, is that at its core, it's a Fisher Tropes technology. And like it or not, this is a technology that's been validated over quite a long time. Um, it wasn't always, you know, intended for renewables, low emissions fuels, but Fisher Tropes wants carbon monoxide and hydrogen. It doesn't care where it comes from. In the past, uh, regretfully, the, the bad past, uh, some folks used coal to do that. We use any kind of cellulosic biomass as our carbon feedstock and then hydrogen. Um, and there's lots of ways you can get hydrogen. So by putting these things together, you kind of make a synthetic crude, and then that synthetic crude is upgraded into jet fuel and some other products. In our case, we recycle those other products back into the system to make jet fuel because that's really what our objective is. But because our carbon feedstock is entirely biogenic, and in, and in the case of Louisiana, that's primarily the gas, okay? Um, mm -hmm. And then about 5% of our carbon feedstock is actually sugarcane trash. That's the stuff that would normally have to get burned off at harvest. Because we, uh, we buy it up, they don't need to burn it off. It becomes a revenue stream to them. So it's a win-win for everybody. And, of course, everybody knows in Louisiana about the gas and how it's a big waste product, and it's always been kind of a problem. But for us, it's a, it's a lovely little carbon feedstock that allows us to come in and make about 200, about 200 million gallons a year of what is basically very, very low carbon emission jet fuel. Michael, how uh, receptive is the aviation industry to this? Oh, they, they, honestly, they love it. Uh, there's three or four different ways you can make low emissions fuels. We think ours is probably the the most scalable, um, but also the lowest final CI of many of the basic systems uh, that are available. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a science background guy, so I'm I'm trying to avoid getting into too much technical detail here. Uh, but look, they have a huge customer demand for the green mile, the, you know, the low-carbon fuels. And they have a customer. They want to serve their customer. They understand that they have an, a big environmental footprint. And, by the way, it's a very hard-to-fix environmental footprint. So fuels like us really allow them to not just answer the question from a public relations point of view, but to actually move the needle on their carbon emissions. So it doesn't matter yeah. which airline you're talking to. They all want it. So you guys are in the process of um, uh, putting together a, a construction project in St. James Parish in order to produce mm -hmm. this, right? Right, yeah. Tell us about um, it. It's about a $4 billion project in St. James. As I said, it generates about 200 million gallons a year of SAF, or sustainable aviation fuel. Uh, our feedstock uh, is basically the gas and a little bit of the uh, sugarcane trash. Uh, and then we match that up. We get the carbon from that. We match it up with hydrogen, and that puts out the fuel. Um, you know, we're, we've got, we're very far along in our engineering. We're finishing up our, our FEL-3. Uh, we've been working with the parish. We've 
we've been at this for well more than a year, and we've been trying to really sit down with the community, understand what their likes are, uh, but also make sure where our technology is right and that it meets everybody's requirements to do this in the most effective way. And, boy, St. James Parish, from a logistics point of view, from a labor force point of view, location to transportation, it's absolutely ideal for us to put a facility like this. Because remember, I, you know, we might be making low emissions fuels, but it's still a fuel, um, and you need trained people. And, wow, uh, you know, Louisiana is such a great location to do that. I was looking at the economic impact for the parish as well as the state. I mean, huge direct revenue, sales tax revenue um, mm-hmm. that would be generated uh, there. And when you right. when you think about, uh, as Michael described, the low impact to the the climate, you know, uh, no mm-hmm. discharge into the river, um, you know, the emissions being no greater than what a hospital would be, you don't see that type of comparison uh, of a manufacturing plant very often. Well, well remember, the, it's the nature of our technology. Um, when, we, when a product comes in and it gets converted, it gets gasified, for instance, okay, uh, we end up harnessing everything. We, we have to clean yeah. it. So we have this tiny little emission. Look, I, I don't knock the oil and gas industry. We all want to pull up to the pump stick that nozzle in, get our fuel, pay peanuts for it, and get on the way, all right? We all want that. We all want to flip that light switch on. They're just giving everybody what we want, but they have an Achilles heel. So they, the industry, are looking at folks like us and seeing that here's an opportunity for them to still feed their market, meet their market, their demands, but not have the carbon negative. Uh, also, people don't realize that one of the reasons why the oil and gas industries do tend to like renewables is because it does give them better control of their of their core feedstock. Remember, most of the oil and gas, not all, but a lot of the oil and gas is controlled by other people, other countries, other nations. They have their own oil and gas industries. So they like the idea of developing renewables here in the United States, and we're part of that. Um, but you, know, you just get into a situation where, uh, because of our low emissions at the facility, when you add in things like us turning the sugarcane trash from literally something they burn off to something that becomes a revenue maker, um, we actually clean up the environment. We, we end up with the negative total emissions when you add those together. Okay. And it's fine. a new revenue. It's a new revenue source for yeah. sugarcane farmers too. Because yeah, I was looking was going in up and smoke before. Now it's now it's money. Yeah, I mean, I was looking in the economic impact study, saying about a hundred twenty million dollars worth of purchases from the sugarcane industry. Correct. Yeah. So you know, we're so think of this, you know, ladies and gentlemen, the gas is the new oil. Yeah, absolutely. Um, interesting too. Um, I love the fact that y'all are engaged in uh, negotiating a, a binding community benefits agreement uh, whereby you're giving back to the St. James community in many different ways to Im- improve upon um, some of the services that they provide to their uh, citizens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, this is critical. I, I've always wanted to make sure that wherever we put facilities, 
we're a good neighbor. I've always, you know, when you look at what happens around the world, you see countries, you know, coming in, taking out resources, but importing labor from, you know, from their folks, you know, doing environmental damage. We've always tried to make sure that we have as gentle and as positive a footprint on a community as we can do it. Um, we have a we're in this community benefits agreement that we put together um, is a, meant to be a binding agreement that really commits us to doing things like in, improving health care, including you know including community services, you know in the area, uh, and also making sure. I think this is incredibly important. It's not just a matter of well we're going to hire, okay, mm-hmm. you know people, but we need to make sure that locals have the education, have the background to do those jobs. So it's not just a matter of providing the job, it's providing the money necessary to make sure they can do those jobs. And that's crucial. Okay? Absolutely. The projections are that DG Fuels will create 2,047 direct and indirect jobs, including 650 new direct jobs in St. James Parish, with an estimated average annual salary exceeding $72,000 plus benefits and another big number for the community as well uh michael darcy thank you so much for joining us we really appreciate uh you spending time with us today explaining this project and best of luck uh to y'all in this endeavor well i i appreciate it thanks and uh say hi to your audience okay thank you have a great have a great mardi gras that's michael darcy chairman and ceo of dg fuels we'll be right back folks stay with us hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back, folks. A uh, very interesting t- uh, topic with uh, Michael Darcy and uh, DJ DG Fuels. Excuse me. Uh, the amount of investment there in St. James Parish is huge. And I was reading the economic impact study um, last evening. Um, and uh, really, really impressive. And we wish the best of luck to them. WWL wants to, uh, you to experience a National World War II museum. If you haven't been there, you're truly missing something. It's one of the most magnificent museums in the world. It's right here in our backyard. You've got to go and take the family to explore their five awe-inspiring historical exhibits on their five-acre campus. You can go to www.com forward slash contest to register to win a family pack of four tickets to the National World War II Museum uh, from WWL. And, folks, a lot of kids are off school next week. Great opportunity uh, to take off a few hours if you'd like. You could actually spend the day there and go see the National World War II Museum. You will not be disappointed by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, I've had... And, and talk to kids as young as six, seven, eight years of age that have visited the World War II Museum, and they are in awe of what they were able to see, learn, and experience there. So um, don't think your child is too young to go because they will be 
absolutely mesmerized by what they see at the National World War II Museum. We'll be right back after the break, folks. Stay with us. This is Newell on WWL. Folks, when we come back after the top of the news break, we'll visit with Glade Bilby, president of the French Quarter Citizens Group. We'll talk about the legal vendor crackdown. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 